but I am so excited about us being in here. Well, Merry Christmas to all of you, and I expect a lot of presents from you. No, okay, never mind. So, uh, last week was so much fun because we got to jump into something. I'm trying this Christmas to see what the Lord will do as we really try and study why Jesus came. Because when you're ministering to people and you're talking to people, what's, what makes Christmas so important? I know the gifts are a great time. I know that they're a lot of fun and they're exciting. And I get all that. But what makes Christmas so amazing is that God would come to us. And so if you would uh, give me a little bit of grace this morning, I'm going to try and dive into that. So last week, we looked at why Jesus came at night. Because light will always push back the darkness. That's a good thing, isn't it? When you know when there's darkness in your life, things happen in your life that seem like dark times. Maybe if somebody gets sick. Maybe a, a relationship changes. Something like that, that that you didn't see coming. It's a dark time. What's amazing is that God can speak through that because of Christ. Then we also looked at the idea of why do innocent children die? That's a dark time. We use that as an example. So why do innocent children die? The Bible says, and if you'll help me out with this, the wages of sin is what? So how does a two-day-old die when they didn't willfully, volitionally commit a sin? Well, we understood now that the sin of, of Adam, the stain of Adam, stains everybody. And that is why Jesus was born by the Holy Spirit to Mary. He did not have the stain of man. So he was the perfect sacrifice for us. How cool is that? Nobody else wants to give an answer, but the Bible gives an answer. And that's why I'm so excited. So today, here's what I want to lay out to you. So the notes are on Summit Church Facebook, if you want to look at that. But I want to give you the point up front. And then I want to kind of give you where we're going. So the point is this. Is that in the middle of this incarnation... That is only through the incarnation of Jesus Christ can you and I go from humiliation to exaltation. What do I mean by that? It's only through the incarnation can you and I have any grace or peace. If you want grace or peace in your life, if you want it in your family's life, if you want it in, in your life to permeate, the only way we can have that is the incarnation of Jesus. And I hope we can dive into that. And so I'm going to explain what is grace and peace. I'm going to look at it and then try and, and, and say not only what is grace and peace, but why is the incarnation so powerful that gives us grace and peace. And then we're going to try and see what does it look like to pray through for grace and peace. Try and be super applicable to us this morning. So we're looking at why Jesus came. So you look at the angels that appeared to the shepherds. In Luke chapter 2, where it would say, you know, and the angels keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were so afraid. But the angel said unto them, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, that is Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you. And you will find the babe wrapped in clothes, swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then one of my favorite parts. And then the heavenly host burst forth, right? And they sing, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. 
There is no way that any of us can have peace outside of Jesus Christ. So we take that passage and we say, where does this happen? Paul. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was Saul in Acts 9. That was his Hebrew name. It's a, he, when, you, when you're born as a Hebrew and a Roman citizen, you have four names. Some of you in this room have four. Most of us have three. First, middle, last. Some have four. So when he began to go to the Gentiles, he used his Roman name called Paul. And so we see Paul who writes two-thirds of the New Testament. It's interesting. I would, I would like to teach on this. You know, Jonathan, you're in seminary. It's interesting. He, he writes, he writes, starts there in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. He always starts his letter either in verse 2 or verse 3, and I think it's only in one book. He starts in verse 1. He says, grace and peace to you. But then he gets into what we call the pastoral letters. In 1st and 2nd Timothy, he writes to Timothy, who's half Greek, half Jew, which created some problems, but not by God. God had the answer for it. And he writes, grace, mercy, and peace. And here's why I want to say that. Anybody who's doing ministry will always need mercy as much as they need grace and peace. It's an interesting concept. The Lord showed me all that as I was studying. So I want to tell you today, I pray this Christmas when you're handing out gifts, I pray that you'll be full of grace and peace. And people will sense that. You know, Christmas Eve is, uh, this year is on a Sunday. So we'll have worship Sunday morning. So bring everybody you can. Because you know I'm good at either they'll love Jesus or I'll run them off. Don't worry. You'll, you'll be all right. And then that night, I want to invite every one of you. It's 6 o'clock that night. We have our summit Christmas Eve ghetto worship. No, I'm kidding. It's great. With our little glow sticks and kids hitting one another. And Well, actually, I shouldn't say kids. It's, it's fun to watch the parents hit one another and hit the kids with it. And I'm just kidding. But, you know, in all that, it's only the way you're ever, and we're ever going to have grace and peace is through Jesus. We look at the many ways, but only can it be found in him. So I'm asking today, if the incarnation is the only way to bring grace and peace because of the stain of Adam, which causes sin. And sin is not only costly to me, it's costly to others. If I commit a sin, it affects everybody in this room in some form or fashion. My family, my friends, my loved ones, it affects. But only Jesus can bring grace and peace in it. So would you pray with me as we seek the Lord? Father, um, there's no way that our eyes can be opened. There's no way that our hearts can be softened. There's no way that our minds can be made new if it's not for Jesus. And so I pray, as I always pray, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that my message that you've given me, which is your message, will not come with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and a power, so that everyone in this room, that their faith would not rest on human wisdom, but on the Spirit's power. And Lord, I pray this, because we have an open heaven because of Jesus Christ, that every time the saints of God pray, you hear, you move, you act, 
because we're praying your will, which is already in motion. And so I pray today, Lord, that we would be radically changed, that you would give us grace and that you would give us peace, not only so that we could have it, but that we could live it and we could share it and we could demonstrate it, thereby people saying, I want to trade what I thought was a great life for the greatest life, which is in Jesus. That is my prayer, Lord. My prayer that everybody in this room would be edified, that you would be glorified, that Satan would be horrified, and more than anything else, that you would show yourself strong. So, Lord, here I am. I got to decrease so you increase. Lord, I got to get out of the way. The only way I can do that is the Holy Spirit to take over. So, Lord, you know this is holy ground. And we, we not only stand in it, we bow. We worship you. So show yourself, Lord, who you are today. We thank you. And all God's people said what? Amen. Amen. So if I'm in the way here, I apologize for y'all. So let's look at Galatians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians. So Galatians is going to give us this idea of this passage we were looking to about the incarnation of Christ. Why did Christ come? Why do we have those beautiful Christmas passages where we see Jesus born? And why is it so powerful? Jesus had to be born by the Holy Spirit through Mary so he could be a perfect sacrifice. There is no stain of Adam on him, which means that's good news for us. But for us, we need grace and peace. Jesus has it. We need it. We're born with the stain of Adam. We are born in sin. King David said that he was in his mother's womb. He was formed in that in sin. So he knew going in. So here is why we have this Galatians chapter 1. It is only again, the point is only through the incarnation can you and I have grace and peace. So here we go. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, see they're part of the Trinity, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. Then look what he says, to the churches in Galatia, here's what he says, verse 3, what's the first word that you have? Grace. grace. You can't ever have peace without grace. Grace has to come first before we have peace, everybody, we're cool with that. It's a real important theological concept. A lot of people want, listen, a lot of people want it easy before they get right with God. Until I get right with God, I can never have peace. In fact, the Bible says in Romans that our feet, we pray that as the worship team, we pray that, um, I don't know if I have my oil, we, we take this oil and we put this oil on us, and I've showed you this before, and we'll take the oil and we'll all share it, and then we'll pray. And, and when I was upstairs, before I came down, I would take this oil, and I would put it on my feet, and I would say, blessed are the feet that bring the gospel peace. And I pray today that there's peace that you feel. And so it's a symbolism, right? It's symbolic, the, uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, we just pray that and anoint people with oil. Why? It's symbolism of healing. And so we pray that. So you can't have peace without grace. So grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for our what, saints? To what? Rescue us from the present evil age. Andy Stanley wrote a book. I encourage you to get it. It's a small book. It's called The Best Question Ever. If you're trying to decide what to do with your life, it's a great book. I encourage you to get it. Best Question Ever. 
Here's the question. Here's the whole question of the whole book. In light of your past experiences, this is cool if you want to write it down or type it in your notes. In light of your past experiences, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams, what is the wisest thing to do? And it's based off Ephesians 5. Don't walk as unwise, but as wise, because the days are evil. That's what scripture says in Ephesians 5. So that's the best question ever. In light of past experiences, current circumstances, future hopes and dreams, what's the wisest thing to do? Sometimes we get an answer just by asking another question. It's an evil age. According to the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel or no good news at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse and anathema. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Genesis 3, right? Curse. Separation from God. They're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. You with me? They're tracking me. The only way that Adam and Eve could live is to be out of the presence of God because God says sin will not live forever. Sin cannot live forever in the presence of a perfect God. That is why it's so great we have Jesus. Now, what's great about Jesus is, is that he's righteous. So what we do is we put, people try to say, well, which religion's right, John? Everybody has faith. No, 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 no. It's not about faith. It's about the one who is faithful. No, 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 y'all didn't hear me. What I'm trying to say is this. I'm, I'm playing poker, and I put all my chips on Jesus Christ. And I don't need sunglasses to hide my face. I'm putting everything. See, I put my faith that Jesus did a great work. I don't put my faith in my work. There's a big difference. Other false religions say it's about your work. Scale of justice. Were you 60% good? 40% sin? You're okay. I don't put my faith in my work. I put my faith in in Christ's work because it says in 2 Timothy 2.13 when I am faithless he is faithful for he cannot deny himself. He made a covenant with us. Let's keep reading. This is so good. Verse 10 And am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Let me just say this as a side note. When you're walking with Jesus and you're really in love with Jesus and God has captured your heart it's not that you don't care about other people. You just don't care what other people say. You love people. But when the blood of Jesus is over you, the blood of Jesus absorbs the blow. Right? Jesus was on the cross. They're spitting. They had spit on him. They had beat him. They had slapped him. They were mocking him. And what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Love absorbs the blow. So I'm walking in a love relationship with Jesus. When people mock me or make fun of me, Jesus absorbs the blow so I don't feel it. Am I now trying to win the approval of, of, of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I say this. If you try to win people, 
The Bible's clear. You can never serve God. But when you serve God, you don't try to please others. You please Him. So, why is the incarnation so powerful? It's the only way for us to receive grace and peace. Look at verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So if the only way you and I can have grace and peace, let's define it. What is grace and what is peace? Let me define grace for you. Ready? Uh, grace is favor that Robert doesn't deserve. When Robert's son Judah was born, how many weeks was he when he was born? 23 weeks at MUSC, right? 23 weeks, and he lived. Touch and go for months, right? Touch and go, touch and go. Uh, every minute. And, and so, and remember, his skin was like paper thin, right? When they put the knee, it was just like pieces of paper. And so he just turned four, right? Woohoo! And, and, and so living the dream. And so you see, you see that. Now, grace is, grace is favor that nobody deserves. Nobody deserves Nobody deserves the grace of Jesus Christ. We do not deserve it. It's not like John, um, I, I'm preaching or pastoring enough that God says, you know, I, I really want to like John because he's trying to do my, my will and trying to work with me. He really tries to love me. Let me just give him some favor. That's not how it works. It's not a transaction. It's transformation. And so what happens is God gives me unmerited favor. But it's not just favor. That's where most people think it's just favor. Now, let me just say this. Just because I have favor with man, does, excuse me, favor with God does not mean I have favor with man. That is Jesus on the cross. But there's also another fact of, of favor. Um, uh, excuse me, of grace. Grace is not only unmerited favor, but it's also the power to do what God has called us to do. So there's two parts. Number one, grace is favor that you and I don't deserve. We get to know Jesus, image of God. We're made in his image. Genesis 1.27. We get to have this relationship with God. Animals do not. We do. Very good. He says in Genesis 1. That's the key to the relationship. Now, since we can have relationship and favor, now we can do what we're called to do. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 10-11. Uh, I, I don't know if that's going to be up there, but I just want to uh, go there. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God, I am... What, saints? Oh, this is so good. I want you to think about Exodus 3.14. God says, I am who I am. This says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. There's a difference between what and who. Who is essence. What is what I do. We cannot do by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am a pastor. By the grace of God, I am a preacher. I can't do what God's called me to do without his gifting of favor called grace. Y'all tracking me? And by the way, if, and I just want to say this. If I'm not walking right with God, being a pastor is miserable. The most miserable people in America are not people living in blatant sin. The most miserable people in America are Christians who sin and don't care. They're miserable. It's like a double life and they can't feel like they just can never get peace. Why? Because they're not walking in this grace. Because grace comes before you got it. So by the grace of God, I am what I am. Not who I am. What I am. 
I am is the image of God. What I am is what God's called me to do. And I can walk in anointing. And so can you. You can walk in your family and your family will hate the presence of God within you. But when you walk in the power of Jesus Christ and you trust the promise of God, then you walk in that family. So God's saying, great. And you're saying this to yourself as they're cussing you out. Greater is he that is in than he is in the world. Not that you're better than them. You're just stronger. That words will not break the word of God. Because the word of God can't be broken. And the blood of Jesus is over you. You have grace and power. You have it. You have that power that God's given you. Uh, that's why he says, look what he says, and his grace, back in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, and his grace to me was not without effect. In other words, effect, the letter E, means it has a final difference maker. Why? Because grace is power. It's not just favor. When you walk in a marriage, when you walk in a relationship, when you're, when you're out there and you're single and you're serving, all these things that God has for you, we have the power of God. If I'm preaching and you're not feeling the presence of God, there's one or two problems. Either my heart is wrong or your heart is wrong. Or it could be a combination of both. There's got to be an anointing. If you're sitting in the middle of a worship and you're not sensing the presence of God, I don't know what to say. There's got to be an anointing within them. That's why I love you because you let me go wild. Because I cannot preach like this with a robe, though I have one, with a nice white long lapel with gold crosses and nice little tassels that hang out there. And it looks so formal. I would rather you just push me in that pond with a cola. <laughs> can't do it and his grace to me was not without effect no I worked harder than all of them so see what happens why, why does he say that why does he say that he worked harder because Philippians 2.13 says, says this for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure so God I'm sorry you can go back to, to, to that uh, verse 10 I apologize it's God who works in me to will and to act so in 1 Corinthians 15 that is why I work because God's willing me to be a pastor. And I want to work. And I want to go after it. And I want to keep studying. Though it's crazy. And so I work harder than all of them. Why do we work harder? It's the grace of God working in us. And when the power of God works powerfully in me, then it works powerfully outside of me. Christians have power. That's why I love when you pray over me prophetically. Yeah, I, I love you. She's all the way from Massachusetts, and she'll come up to me. I love, I'm going to use you. Can I use an example? Yeah, you, right? Yeah, is that, yes, is that a yes or no? Yes? Okay. So, so, I love Jeremy Bakes' um, mother-in-law. So, Jeremy, your son-in-law is the one who pulled me over. He was a state trooper. Where is Jeremy in here? No, he's out there? Well, yeah, good. He, good, he needs to, yeah. So, he pulled me over. He was a state trooper. I'm minding my own business at 1 in the morning, coming home from Trident Hospital, Y'all know the story, right? Remember? Yeah? Pulls me over. He said, there's nobody there who does 35 and a 35 at 1 in the morning. I said, well, I didn't know I was sleepy. And so I, I remember, I'm driving my mom's car. He pulls me over. He hits the back of the trunk. He's a state trooper. Pulls me over in a church parking lot. Prophetic. Well, anyway, <laughs> and pulls me over. And he thinks I got a body in the back because he thinks it's a stolen car because the number they put in, he put the wrong number in or it came up wrong or something. And it came up as a stolen car. And, and so he comes up and he's like, where's 
you know, the registration, all that. I'm in my mother-in-law's car. I have no idea. So it looks like I actually stole the car. <laughs> and I go, I don't know. Could you tell me where it is? He goes, I can't do that. So I'm literally about 1.30 in the morning fumbling through my mother-in-law's car looking for some registration. I don't even know what it looks like. So I give it to him. He goes back, and he comes back, and I got him because they ran the wrong number. So I've been pulled over, and I did nothing wrong. <laughs> I'm feeling powerful at this moment. And so I talked to him about Jesus. For the next 15 to 20 minutes, we go about Jesus, and am I lying? The next Sunday, he's in worship. So I get to meet his wonderful mother-in-law, who is an absolute amazing woman of God. So she comes and visits, and she's like, you talk about the blood of Jesus. And I'm like, is there anything else? And so, right, and, and, and she's getting me fired up. And she goes, she's sitting with her daughter, and she looks around, and she sees my daughter, doesn't know it's my daughter. She goes, I'm, I need to talk to her. And so her daughter goes, uh, that's, that's John's daughter. She goes, I need to talk to her. God has shared something with me. And uh, so I see her afterwards. You know I stand at the door and try and hug y'all and love on y'all and try and get cookies. And so <laughs> I have a game plan. And, and so she, as she said, can I talk to your daughter? I have a word. I was like, absolutely, you can talk to her. So she goes up to her. I see her in there. She goes up to her. And she goes up and she says, I just want you to know. The person you're, the, you're with is not going to be your husband. I was like, preach. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that. Just throw that out there. Yeah, it's thrown out there. And then, and then, and then like literally, like literally within weeks, all this stuff falls into place. And then she meets wonderful Zach, and Zach's in the family. And it's just amazing. But it's amazing. You never know what will happen in this place. That's grace. Until she got grace, the power to do what God's called her to do, she never got the peace that she wanted. Y'all with me? That was just a nice way of saying I love my son-in-law. You, know, you see that? Oh, that's nice. Give me a good present. Um, I, can I just speak to the, like, the fathers in the room? You ever notice when your kids give you presents? Or let's just say you, you, you buy something for people and they give it to you, you're paying for it. Like, you might as well just buy it yourself. I've never understood that. But anyway, uh, so the point is, you get grace. And so he says, I work harder because you work harder because the power of God's working within you. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God. Back in verse 15, he says, but the, he says, it's not me that's just working. He said, but it's the grace of God that was with me. That's what the incarnation brings. That's what Jesus Christ brings for you and I. He brings the blood of Jesus that satisfied the wrath of God, the perfect sacrifice. That's why the Holy Spirit came upon Mary because the stain of Adam would have ruined the ability for Jesus to be Jesus. Grace. I'll show you where power is in Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You know these verses. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul's writing. Or because, and it should be a, yeah, 
of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, now this is Paul saying, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, because remember, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If you want, if you want power, if you want wind beneath my wings, that's an old song, never mind. And so if you want like a wind underneath the kite, get real humble in front of the Lord. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, people struggle, theologians have struggled. Was Paul depressed? Did he have a, a depression? Paul had something that kept him humble, that his prayers, God was not going to answer it. Some of us in this room, the reason why we are not what we want to be physically, financially, or something, the reason why is because we might walk away from God if we had it. Right? Let's tell the truth, shame the devil. God will keep us in a place of humility to use us greatly because that's what Jesus was. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a measure of Satan to torment me. Keep going. So there was this, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. People say, if you say the same prayer more than once, it's a lack of faith. They don't know scripture. Jesus prayed three times, take this cup away. But he said to me, my grace is what? Yes. That's why Jesus came. He, we have to have grace. Jesus didn't need grace. It's amazing to me in the Catholic Hail Mary prayer. They say, Hail Mary, full of the Immaculate Conception. So I go over to Goose Creek one time. This is years ago. I just want y'all to know. Y'all know I'm a Catholic theologian, right? Y'all know that. Y'all know I'm an early church, which is where all Catholicism built off of. I can sit there at the Vatican and go all day. I met people from the Vatican. Those are my people. Bon Jovi forever. <laughs> the Immaculate Conception is not Jesus Christ in Catholic theology. It is Mary. <laughs> See, I'm not trying to go too deep, but I just want y'all to know because they struggle with how to, how to deal with the stain of sin through a man. That's why when they say, Hail Mary, full of grace, they are saying that she was fully perfect. That she was the Immaculate Conception, not Christ. That's out of the priest's mouth from the Vatican. Mm -hmm. So I want you to know, that's why Jesus was not born of Adam, the stain of sin of Adam. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that what? Christ's power is in his... There you go. So it's not just you have favor. You can't do, if Jeremy's going to be the cop that God's called him to be, he can't do it without the grace of God. And if he does not spend time with God in a relationship, he will not know God's power when he needs it. So not only do we get grace, let's go back to Galatians chapter 1. Oh, this, I, I'm going to move. This is so, I got so much good stuff. This is so much good stuff. All right, Galatians 1. All right, so look, there with me in verse 3. Grace and what, saints? Peace. Grace and what? All right, so what is this peace? So we know what grace is. Grace is not only the favor that God chose us to save us, in spite of us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The righteous for the unrighteous, Romans says. But it's peace. Let me give you the definition of peace. This is so good. Peace literally means to join together into a whole. W-H-O-L-E. What I'm trying to say is this. 
Where's Lynette? I thought I saw you come in. There's my wife right there. All right, so Lynette, she can't make me whole. I love her. She can't. Only the peace that I can have in this world, that I am, my life is going to count for something, is to have the peace of God in my life. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Ephesians chapter 4, no, excuse me, Philippians 4 in verse 6. And following down all the way into verse 9, God is called the God of peace. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Then he goes down there and it says that, that God is the God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace in Isaiah. God is called the God of peace. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It's all in the Trinity. The only way for you and I to feel whole in this world is to have peace. Peace does not come through presence, T-S. Peace does not come through rewards. Peace does not come through position. Peace comes through Jesus. The only way for me, listen, she can't, her outlet, she can't give me enough to make my identity feel something different. She can compliment me, but she cannot make me whole. So in the Hebrew word you've heard, the or should I, right? The the, the it's a W in, in, in Hebrew, that's why you'll see like this when they did Spock. And then we put the name of Jesus on you, or the name of God. They would say the word shalom. What is the word shalom? What have you heard it translated? Let's talk. Come on. Peace. So some people say peace means healthy, whole, delivered. What they mean by healthy is not that the physical ailments go away, but that you and I are whole. We have wholeness. My marriage will never be what it, I can never sow into her if I'm looking for her to sow into I got to get whole. In the incarnation, you can't have peace without grace. But with grace comes peace. Wholeness. There will be no wholeness. There will be nothing. This is, all right, let me show you an example. This word is super. Matthew chapter uh, 10. You don't have to turn there. I want to show you. So Jesus sent out his disciples. 72. Sends out. And he says, when you go to a house, he said, if your peace, the wholeness of God, I'm right with God, living in the power. If you feel that, if I go to Isaac's house and Marcy's house, and I feel that presence, that's why I can journey with him. Because I feel the spirit on him when he's made in the image of God. I, right? We all look at everybody today. This is how we look at people. They're made in the image of God. Therefore, everybody is valuable. Right? We don't look. Man looks at the outside. Scripture says God looks at the what? Heart. So we look, at, we look at image of God. Everybody, that's why Jesus is so brilliant. It's a genius. Image of God. And then we look at these people like, are they walking with God? Are they not walking with God? Like, what's going on? So if I, the reason why I can journey with Marcy and Isaac is because I sense the peace of God. They're whole. I'm whole. And together, there's this, we build each other up. Because I'm not looking to get something from them, though I do. 
I'm looking to walk with him. So what happens, he sends about it and says, if your peace rests in that house, stay there. And that's why some of you, that's why some of you say, I want to be a part of something. Because I sense something. So let's go to that Matthew chapter 10. You'll see this is powerful. He says this. As you enter the home, so he's telling the disciples as they go out two by two, as you enter the home, can't marry somebody who... My mom used to say, birds of a feather. And I'd go, okay, that's nice, mom. So I'm not in good shape with my crazy friends. And then she'd say, you know, John, if you straddle the fence, you get splinters. So sometimes, because I'm not right, as you enter the home, give it your greeting, your blessing. I come in the name of the Lord. You enter into a relationship with somebody. On your first date, why not pray? First thing you ought to do, before you even get in the car, before you give them flowers and say, Pooh, you look so good. I didn't know angels fly so low. Whatever you want to say. That's pretty good. Yeah, so. <laughs> but my point is, before you say any of that, grab her hand, grab his hand, and absolutely pray the fire of God. They will either love you or run from you. And sometimes, cut that zero. You don't need it. Because if they're not whole, and they're broken, last time I looked, broken glass cuts. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. That's, I'm trying to give you all some good stuff today. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Verse 13. If the home is deserving, what that means is, if God is doing a work, if they're not rejecting the presence of God, let your what? Wholeness. I feel like it. Whole. Listen, there's no job that's going to give you that. You're only going to get a job and say, then in about one or two, three years, you're going to want more. There's got to be, the, listen, the blood of Jesus, the absolute pureness blood of Jesus is the only, when I wake up on Christmas morning, the joy in my heart that I want to cry every Christmas day is because the King of Kings would die for me. And he came to die. Christmas is not the highest holy day we have. It is the death, burial, and resurrection, but without Christmas, we wouldn't have it. It is the incarnation of Christ. Let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. You know what it is. When you have a check, trust it. Your conscience is not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit speaks to your conscience. Come on. If you feel a check, walk. Slow down. Say, I don't know, Lord. Peace. That's the idea. So, is everybody ready? So, the incarnation is the only way we can have what two things? Talk to me. Grace and peace. So, if we call on grace, grace is not just favor that we get that we don't deserve. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. We don't deserve it. So that's why I can love people who don't deserve it. That's why I can bless those who curse me. But then also, I get peace. I become whole. And when I'm whole, then I give to Lynette out of my saucer and not my cup. Because my cup runneth. I don't need her to fill my cup when Jesus is already filling it. See, the, the point is, the cup is in the letters J-E-S-U-S, not Lynette. 
That's a God thing you're in here today because normally you don't get to come because you're with all those wonderful kids. So I love, where's, where's Anna? Is Anna in here? Where's Anna? That saying, where's Anna? She in here? I love, there you are. Anna, I love your daughter. So my wife's, I got to tell a story. So, so I love this story because the video, so my wife's name is Lynette, but their daughter can't say Lynette. She calls her Miss Little Neck. <laughs> and she was here, we were practicing. I said, Miss Little Neck's coming. She's like, Miss Little Neck? Yeah, Miss Little Neck. So every time I see Lynette, I go, what's up, Little Neck? <laughs> It had nothing to do with the sermon. All right, so why is the incarnation so powerful? Why? So let's answer this. Why is the incarnation so powerful? Look back at Galatians chapter 1. This is why it's powerful. This is why grace and peace. And I want to go deep. This is where my my heart for systematic theology and historical theology comes comes in. Verse, Verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. So this is why the incarnation is powerful. This is why Christmas just absolutely is meaningless without, without Jesus. You know, with all the sales around Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving turns into, a, instead of a season of thankfulness, it's a season of selfishness. Without Jesus, it's just another way for us to be selfish. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Let me give you your word. You cannot be rescued without a sacrifice. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. We cannot be rescued without a sacrifice. And the thing is, I want us to know, is that we cannot rescue ourselves. It's, that's when I know that people are really open to the Lord when they realize, I am sinned against a holy God, and I'm wrecked, and there's not one thing I can do about it. It's not anything I can do. I can't give enough money. I can't help enough people. I can't give my life away. There's nothing I can do. I've got to be rescued. Think of a helicopter. Think of me dying right there, drowning in my blood. And without the medevac, I am in trouble. Rescued. That is what makes it. That is what makes the incarnation. And the incarnation, let me just say this. And the incarnation, this is why the incarnation is powerful. Because Jesus Christ was God who added humanity and then went back to being fully God. Now, let me, I just gave you something deep. The incarnation, let me put it this way. Robert Culver says it like this. Does not consist of the divine nature giving up something, but adding something. And he added human nature. So when we work, listen, when we see Jesus Christ on the cross, it is God dying for us, not just a man. He added humanity. That's why his blood is so powerful. It's not the blood of a man. It's the blood of a God-man. Philippians 2. I'll show you. This is a hymn that when, when the earliest gospel that was written is Mark. But in Philippians, by AD 36, they were singing this hymn in the churches. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. They would sing this hymn by AD 36. Just a couple years after Christ's death, they were singing the Christology, the study of Christ. The the Christology of Christ. And they would sing this. Rather, he, Jesus, 
made himself nothing. That's the Greek word kenosis means empty. Well, that, it doesn't really give it the right word. He was fully God who became fully man. He was God first and added humanity. He was not human first who added divinity. That's what makes him powerful in your life. Think about it this way. Jesus goes from exaltation. I'm God. The word, the word of God, wisdom of God, the word of God, who spoke in the beginning. That's why he's there in creation. His exaltation becomes humiliation. He takes on humanity. He goes back to exaltation. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. And then he was a Hebrews 12 says, he sat down at the right hand of God. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Look at this. What did he, go, can we go back to that? I'm sorry, verse 7. What did he take on? He take on, he took on what? Human nature. He took on Mark, the gospel of Mark 1045 says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to humiliation. When people are walking with Jesus, when the saints of God are walking with Jesus, we serve. We serve. He took on Humanity being made in human life. He emptied himself. What that means is, is that the God who doesn't need anything made space to take on humanity. And with humanity comes weakness. Let's keep going. And being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He made himself nothing. And so I want you to see this humiliation. Duncan writes, humiliation has two things. I want you to see what it means to be humble. Two things. Number one is he, he humbled his visible divine glory. In other words, we don't see Jesus as people did not see Jesus as God. When he was born in the manger, his divinity was veiled. When Jesus was growing up in Nazareth, his divinity was veiled. When you and I walk around as child of God, children of God, God might recognize you and man might not, but it's only veiled to those who are perishing. So when people don't give you what you deserve, it doesn't mean that God won't give you what you are going to get. People that don't know the Lord will not recognize the Lord because their spirit is dead. He laid aside his divine majesty. Think of the transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured there in front of Peter, James, and John. And they saw Jesus transferred in his glory. Think about it this way. He writes that the glory of God was laid aside as plain from the fact that people whom he met viewed him as described in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 3. He was a rustic carpenter. He was an ordinary uh, specimen of a town of bad reputation. There was nothing noble or regal about him. His glory was only apparent to those who he saw to reveal it to. So his humiliation, the one part is his divine glory was, was veiled. But here's another part of humiliation. His divine glory, like, like, let me just say something. People don't see you as God sees you. But that doesn't mean you're not valuable. Paul wrote it this way. He would write, 
In some ways, I'm honored. And in other ways, I'm dishonored. He has a whole section in Corinthians about that. And I encourage you to read it. Some people looked at him as if they were ashamed of him. Some people held Paul in high esteem. Why? Because when people don't walk with God, they will look at you and I and say, absolutely not. That's crazy. It's the same thing they saw Jesus. He, he was fully God who became human in his divine glory as a baby. This man was born in some cave that smelled terrible. And he's the king of kings and lord of lords becoming nothing for us. But what else did he become? What else does humiliation mean? It means obedience. Let's go back to Philippians 2.8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming what? Listen, in humiliation, there's obedience. In humiliation, there's obedience. We do things we don't want to do. Jesus prayed three times, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Two different words in Greek. One for Father's will, one for human will. He surrendered because of that. Listen, when Jesus, he didn't have to obey fully God because he was already perfect. But he did this. I, 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 he writes about this, Culver says, Consisting in the fact that he was subject to the demands of the curse of the law. And his entire life became obedient in action. He had active obedience. When I have grace and peace with God, then I can humble myself. I told my family last night I was struggling. I'm going to let you in my world. I was struggling. And I said, Lord, I don't really like to be actively. I don't like being humble in front of you and humble in front of the world. I, I'm struggling. If you're my value and you're my approval and you're, you're what makes me whole, then I should want to do this. But I'm spending my Saturday and Saturday night and throughout the week working on the sermon. I'm just not smart enough to not touch it on Saturday, Saturdays and especially Saturday nights. It's, it's like a test for me. I need to review it so the Holy Spirit can just speak and I'm racing to catch up as he speaks to me. And I don't like that some people get to have all these great things. Why, God, I, I, I'm spending my Saturday nights and, and some parts of my Saturday, I'm working on a sermon. And I struggle with that. I struggle with being obedient. But Jesus became obedient to what? It wrecked me. His act of obedience means he took suffering to the very limit of a shameful death. He says his life of submission to God's law and God's special will for him throughout his life can only happen because he became humble. You and I will never do what God calls us to do unless we humble ourselves. Jesus Christ is exalted. If, listen, if you know you're good, then it's real easy. My father-in-law um, is letting me drive his Mustang GT. It's a five-speed, people. Get a visual. It's all black. It looks sweet. And in that car, I transform from pastor to NASCAR. 
<laughs> and I pull up beside people. And they have their little cars, their little skinny jeans, their nice hairstyles. And I'm there with that five speed. And it's just, it's humming and it wants to go. And there's so many times, oh, oh, oh. I just want to look over and wave bye-bye <laughs> and go. I mean, that car has so much power. I could toast almost every car right here on University Boulevard with authority. But I don't. Except sometimes. Why? Because I don't need to. Because I know I already have it. I don't have to prove. Jesus did not have to prove that he was perfect. He already was. He didn't have to prove anything to anybody. When we walk with God with his grace and peace, because of the incarnation, Jesus didn't have to prove anything. That is why he did it for us. When I don't feel like I have to prove myself to be a great husband to Lynette, because if God is working in me, God will work through my weaknesses. He'll overcome my deficits. He'll overcome anything that I have, because anything that I have is his. Then I don't have to prove anything to anybody. All I can do is just be who God's called me to be and do it to the best that I can, because he will do it and honor it. It's like knowing you've got the power to do it. You just don't choose to use. And that's how you and I can walk with confidence every day. So I'm going to ask y'all to play over me if you don't mind. I'll give you an example of this. Jesus was talking to Pilate as we land this plane. Matthew 26, 53. Look at this. This is knowing you got it. But just because you got it doesn't mean you got to flaunt it. Right? Matthew 26. What did he say? Look what he said to Pilate. The most powerful man in all of Israel the Roman governor scared out of his mind at Jesus because he can't figure him out because he's God he can't talk him out of it because he's on a mission from God but look what Jesus said to him Jesus looks at Pilate Pilate's like I can free you I can free you you don't have to die Jesus is going can you imagine what if Jesus was thinking but I'm dying for you you're right, I don't have to die because I'm sinless. I'm just obedient. That was good. Can I just give you a word today? And you can tweet it. You don't have to be sinless. Just be obedient. That's all Christians have to be. We're not being obedient for, to get favor. We already have grace. We're being obedient so we can show grace. Do you think I cannot call my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? There's two to 4,000 in a Roman legion. That could be 48,000 angels of fire coming from another dimension with immediacy, but coming not only fast. That, he, that Pilate would feel their presence as if they were right here because remember God's multidimensional. We feel his presence though we see him coming from 
a presence. Pilate doesn't know what to do. That's grace. And that's peace. He went to the cross that way. So I want to ask you today. Here's our application. How can we have grace? Galatians 1.6. Here's what I want to land on. Here's the incarnation. Verse 6. How can we have grace and peace? Verse 6 of Galatians 1. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you. You said, but John, how do I know God's calling me? Here's how I know. God is speaking through me to speak to you. I am not holy. He is. Well, I, I, theologically, yes, I'm holy because he set us apart. You're holy because he set us apart. But I want you to know he's calling to you through me. You say, well, John, why doesn't God just speak to me then? Well, if that's the way you want it, he will one day just read the book of Revelations. You, you, Revelation, you probably just don't want him to speak to you that way. You don't want to be at the great white throne where there'll be books opened up and judged on your works. You might not want that one. But God is speaking. He speaks through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, through the church and creation. As Henry Blackaby would say, to reveal himself, his purposes and his ways. He's speaking to you. And this is what he says. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to what, saints? How can I have grace and peace? Live in it. Live in the grace that God's given you. I don't know what that means, John. Here's what it means. One, live like a believer. Fall in love with Jesus. If you're living for a job, if you're living for this upcoming relationship, if you're living for a dream, we will never live in the grace that God has given us, ever. Grace is powerful. It's transformative. I can tell you, I have seen, and Coach Padilla, Jerry Tikak, they've all seen, uh, you know, Zach, you're dead. Kurt, you've seen it. Y'all have seen football teams win a game before they ever played. Because they know. Live in the grace of Christ. One be in the relationship with him, all in. And two, take a step of faith and do what he's asked you to do. Well, John, what if I fail? Here's what I want you to know. You think God is angry and it's going to slap you? That's not, that's not the God I serve. If I sense God telling me to do something and I step out and it absolutely bombs, don't you know that the grace of God is greater than my sin? He's so good. But for me to just sit here and do nothing? Well, I'm right with God, but I'm just, I'm just going to sit here until he takes me home. I, I have the presence of God now. And there's a world that needs to be rescued. God's going to use you. I love the fact. I love the fact that my wife told me this morning, Scott, you told me, Fitzsimmons in the back, Scott told me, 
Do y'all know how much of a giving church you are? This is how I want to encourage you. We already have met the needs of those children, the gifts that they need. But there's also, we're also collecting books and stuffed animals so we can give to them on December the 20th. Can you imagine if we're as a church and we sit by and we do nothing? Here's what I'm trying to say. You know that the church is making an impact on the world when the church stops and the world goes, we need them. Live in the grace that God's called you to. Live in the grace. Grace is not just for salvation. Grace is living in it. And it's surrendering to the hope that Christ brings us by faith in his presence. Let me tell you what I do. This is how you walk with Jesus. You ready? Every day, this is what I do. When I pray, I am sowing his grace into my life. When I read my Bible, I am sowing grace. Read your Bible, pray, and then guess what else? Now, go sow the seeds of the gospel. Share the gospel. Talk to people. Serve them. Water it. Keep doing the same thing. That is, I believe that greater is he that's in me, that he's in the world, that God is going to supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. That's why I stepped into pastoring, not having a job, not having finances. Some had had about eight, no, nine people, right, Lynette? Nine active people who had nothing. But I stepped by faith, and we sowed, and we watered, and God gave the increase. That's how you walk with Jesus. You're not just saved. Walk in the promises of God every day. Claim them. Walk in them. Sow the promises. Water the promises. And watch God give the increase. That's how you walk with Jesus. Every day, I trust the promises of God. I trust that God is going to give Isaac a chance to one day be a head coach. I believe that. Not because he is good, but because God's going to use him who, to proclaim his name. God will do it. So, water. That's what it is to have grace and peace. Now, my question is, here's the first step to sow into you, because I can't sow into anybody else unless it's sown into me. Y'all with me? Because then it comes across as fake. Do you need grace and peace today? God, I don't feel whole in my job. Make me whole. And you walk in there and start talking to Jesus. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to get fired. And that might be what God wants. Your bank account won't like it. But your spirit will. And you'll be scared out of your mind. You'll be calling me crying. John, I did what you told me to do. I'll be going to God. God, please don't ever tell me that again. <laughs> Only way you can be whole it's just to walk with Jesus. Start sowing the promises of God in you. Start walking in the promises of God and speaking them. And watch God give an increase. That's how you walk with Jesus. That's why we walk by faith, not by sight. What are we walking by faith in? The promises of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for everyone in this room. I want to pray right now. Is there anybody in here that just needs some grace and peace? Anybody in here who just needs something from you? Is there anything that they need that you can sow into them, Lord? Maybe they just want to come and kneel and pray. Man, there's a lot of room up here, Lord. There's some empty seats everywhere. Lord, maybe some of us in this room, we need peace. So we can give peace. 
We need some grace, Lord. We need grace. Maybe there's in this room, somebody needs to start with salvation. And Lord, they need to be wrecked that they're in sin and that they cannot fix it, but it is the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross that satisfied the wrath of God that allows us to move forward and say, yes, Lord, though I'm a sinner, now you have saved me and I am one of yours, a saint, and though I might not feel like it, it does not change what you declare. And so I come to you and I pour my heart out to you. Save me. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart. That God, you rose him from the dead. Save me. I want that grace. I need peace with you before I can show peace to others. Maybe there's some believers in this room, Lord, that need grace. They need power to walk in the situation they're in. They've got to be Jesus in the skin. They've got to be the incarnate one in some ways. In their jobs, sweet mates, friends, family. As a sister or brother, I pray for him, Lord. Pray that you'll give them grace. Now just rest in it now because you will give it because your promises are new every your man, your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And Lord, is there anybody in this room that needs peace? They want to pray for peace over their family. They want to pray peace for uh, a friend. They want to pray a peace for a parent. They want to pray a peace for a child. They want to pray a peace for a girlfriend, boyfriend. I don't know what it is, Lord, but they might need faith for themselves. That they need some wholeness, Lord. There's just this empty, nagging feeling that you draw. Come on, Lord, speak to us. I don't want to be. A, I don't want to have a worship gathering where people know and encounter you, Lord. I know you'll give the worship team prophetically how to move and where to sing and what songs to sing and where to go. And we can do anything. And that's what's great about Summit, Lord. There's such men and women in this room that give such grace. Jesus came, Lord, and he is alive. And he came with active obedience. And he came with his divine glory veiled. But his veiled glory did not stop the power of his glory. May we walk in that power, Lord. Speak over everyone in this room. I pray for them, God. Please give them the desires of their heart. Please give them what they need. Some of them want, want a spouse. I beg you, would you give that to them? I'm talking, Lord, a born-again, on-fire, Bible-believing, Bible-toting, Jesus, blood-bought, born-again, saint of God, who is not ashamed of the gospel. Give them that. For them, some in this room that just need some peace, their mind's going a thousand miles an hour. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? I've done this, I've done that. Lord, give them peace. They were right with you based on the cross. And they'll always be right with you based on the cross. Grace comes before peace. Maybe some in this room want son or daughter. I don't know. Give it to them, Lord. I'm begging you as somebody you've called to intercede. 
thank you for this church. Thank you. I love, I love these women and men, Lord. I love them. They deserve a lot better pastor. But what we have is a great king. Stand again. 